Praise the Lord. Take a Bible if you have one and turn to the book of 1 John. This morning. We have been exploring the riches of this life eternal. This life that is so much more than just a duration of time living forever in heaven. Eternal life is that life of Christ. It's living His life. And yes, it will last forever, and that's an incredible thought. But that's only the beginning. We are to live our lives in the life of Christ, or His life in me. I like to envision it as a beautiful river or a stream. And in that stream are filled with all of the wonderful things offered in the life of Christ. We've already mentioned several of those things in chapter number 1. Today we're going to see two more things. As I first described it to you, remember I told you a little story. I mean, walking up the mountain along this little stream. And in that stream were these most amazing trout. They were glorious. Come to find out they were spawning. And so they were huge, fully mature trout. Big, fat girths on these trout. The kind of which are, are trophy-type trout. In the life stream of eternal life are these trophy truths that Christ wants for you and for me to enjoy now. He wants our life to be lived not in our own powers or abilities. He wants our life lived now in His power, in His life. Satan wants to tell us, you will be giving up so much if you follow Christ. All of those things that you want to do, you have to say no to to follow Christ. But if you could only see it from His perspective, if you'd only see that the life of Christ is not a giving up, it is a receiving His life. Let me read for you just two verses, and we'll pray, and then I'll share with you what God's laid on my heart for today. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, My little children, he writes, These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Today I want to bring a message entitled, An Advocate and His Absolutes. Let's pray. Lord, my heart has been stirred already this morning. Lord, the fellowship that I've enjoyed has been so sweet. Singing the songs. Lord, songs praising you, praising you for our freedoms. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, I have appreciated the time that you and I have spent in preparation for this, not this time. And so I pray now, Lord, that you might allow me to share your message. And may the words that I speak be your words. And Holy Spirit of God, would you do a work in our hearts and lives, a work that would bring glory to Jesus. We will thank you for it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. My little children, at first glance it seems a little demeaning. This is not talking to a bunch of little children, it's talking to believers in Christ. Uh, many of whom, undoubtedly, John had led to the Lord himself. 
These are believers. He calls them little children. And the more I thought about it, the more appropriate that name gets. Because don't we oftentimes behave in our spiritual life like little children? My little children. He says it. He says it out of a heart of love, however, for them. It's not demeaning. It's not looking down on them. It's he's calling them his. You're, you're mine. I'm wrapping my arms around you as if you were my own kids. John's purpose for writing his letter is seen here. He writes to his children. In 3 John 1 verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I love my children, he says. I love my spiritual believers, those that I've won to Christ, those that I've had the privilege of discipling. I love them, and nothing makes me happier than knowing that they're still walking in truth. He writes this letter to express his affection to these young believers. He writes it also to challenge the believers to not sin, that ye sin not. And then thirdly, to encourage the believers that when they do sin, and they will sin, God has already provided a remedy. 1 John is an amazing book, and I shared with you at one other time, it was not a book I was looking forward to really doing a deep dive into because I relegated it off to, it's just that book that talks about love. It's just, just love. And, and I love love. Love's a good thing. I love love. It's wonderful. I love love. I love being loved. But, I mean, how much study can you do in love? I mean, it's not really a guy. It's a chick's thing. You know, they, they're the ones that, that study love. But, boy, when I jumped off the high board into this book, I was just jaw-dropped at the amazing truth in this book. That's where God gave me this concept of, of, a, of a life stream, eternal life, living a life not in my life but in His, uh, transferring, receiving His life, exchanging it. Lord, you can have my life. <laughs> I want yours. I want to live your life. When I pillow my head at the end of my life, I want to be able to look back and not see me, what I've done. I want to see what you have done. I want to see you your life. Sin's remedy, well, we see this in verse number one. If any man sin, which you're going to, he didn't specifically say this, but you're going to, if, I say it, when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And that, fa that advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, this word advocate is a unique form of of the, the word from which we get the word comforter. The comforter has come, of course, the Holy Spirit. The original word is, is a form of that. But this is a unique form of that. It means one called to assist another, one who pleads the cause of another, literally an advocate, one who stands up on the benefit of another. What's interesting to me is we oftentimes relegate this advocate simply to one person of the Trinity. But I learned something. I love learning something. In verse number, or chapter 2, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is this advocate? Well, it tells us. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is our advocate for us before the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. Who is it that stands up on our benefit? 
for us to the Father is Jesus. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able also to deliver them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he, Jesus Christ, ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus is interceding for us. Now what's the devil doing? The devil is accusing before the Father, the devil is accusing. And the honest, simple truth is, when he stands before God the Father, he's not lying. As he accuses us, he tells the truth. He sees when you sin, and he can't wait to go to tell the Father, look at them, they call themselves a believer, and yet they just lied. Did you see that? They just lied, Heavenly Father. They're a liar. Before he does that, he has to come through our advocate. He tries to make us look bad before the Father, but between the Father and him is Jesus Christ. And that old devil is throwing up all that garbage about us. And it's not that it's not true. They had a bitter spirit. They gossiped. They were resentful. They cheated. It's all true. And he can't wait. He gets so excited. And he runs to the Father to cast all that garbage to him. And Jesus said, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're righteous. I already took care of all those sins on the cross. They're pure and holy and righteous. We have an advocate with the Father, one standing between the Father and that ugly accuser, the devil, and it's Jesus Christ the righteous. Secondly, in John 14, 16, it says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Remember I told you the word, another word for comforter. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. This word comforter here, is it the same word used as comforter in other places? This word, translated comforter, is the same original word as the one for advocate. Now, I found that interesting. That here in this usage, it is the same word translated as advocate in our text verse. I will pray the Father and he shall give you another, we could say, advocate. Give me another advocate. Well, now, Wait a minute, you mean there's more than one advocate for us? Let me read you a verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I see a joint ministry between Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working as advocates on our behalf. It's incredible. Sin's got a remedy. Because God knew you were going to sin. Just taking care of your eternal salvation did not mean all of a sudden, boom, you're sin free. You're still going to sin. You shouldn't. We have no excuse. But we sin. But if any man sin, we have made provision for that, or we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In verse number two, 
It uses a fancy term, a fancy word. It says, and he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation. Well, in 1 John 4.10, it says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God loved us. God loved us so much, He sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because God so loved the world. In so doing... He allowed His Son to be a propitiation for us. What is this propitiation? Here's the definition. It means to appease or to regain the goodwill of. It means to atone, to make amends, or to pay the penalty of. Of course, we know that sin had a penalty. It's death. It's dying. It's going to hell. In ourselves, that would be our destination. But, praise God, we had one who would be our propitiator or make a propitiation for us, and that was Jesus Christ. He made amends with the Father. He paid the penalty for sin. And here is that verse. He is the propitiation for our sins. Here's some examples of Christ paying for our sins in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. He who was just died for us, we who are unjust. That he might bring us to God, bringing, or being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We have a propitiator, one who took care of our sins. He paid the price for them. Boy, what we have. In this eternal life stream, it's incredible. We have an advocate in this eternal life stream. You see, because of that penalty on sin, there was a necessity for Christ's death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that penalty for all men when he shed his sinless blood on the cross, thus propitiating the holy righteousness of God, appeasing the holy righteousness of God. We have an advocate in this life stream. It's incredible. One who will stand up for us. We're not all alone. We don't have to worry about facing the wrath of our Heavenly Father for all the sins that we deserve to pay for because we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Some years ago now, I became power of attorney for a very uh, elderly lady. And uh, she came to me, and, and there's no local family for her. So um, I became that and, and took, began taking care of uh, uh, her affairs and, and all. During that time, I learned that um, her son, who was a long ways away, was making some very significant withdrawals from her bank account. 
Um, I talked to her about it, and she said, oh, yes, he asked, and I said it would be okay. And I'm significant in the, in, in the numbers of tens of thousands of dollars. And they were for speculative business possibilities. Um, and I, ch I, I warned her about it. I said, you've got to be careful about this. And uh, the next thing I knew, <laughs> the bank had found this out. The bank called the Adult Protective Services. And all of a sudden, I'm going to court. I'm going to court to testify, to, know, to tell them what I know about her accounts. And I had to explain what was going on, but not only was I called to court, so was the son. And the son was threatened with going to prison because of what he had done. But she said I could, he said. <laughs> she said I could have the money. <laughs> and they went on to explain how in her mental condition he could not do that. And so he went on probation, and I was on a situation where they were monitoring then my work uh, every six months. I would send in documentation for all this. I learned, I learned something I did, did not know before, and that is in that case she had a very powerful advocate. It's called the Adult Protective Services. And my, they had some pretty significant teeth. And they weren't afraid to bear those teeth and use them because she had an advocate, someone to stand up in her feeble condition, someone to stand up on her behalf. I'm in a feeble condition. I've been saved for years. You know what? I hate to admit it, but there are still times I sin. There's still times I, I get discouraged. There's still times that I disappoint my Savior. He tells me, you need to give that person a track. And I give him five quick reasons why it's not the right time. I'm grateful that I have an advocate standing up on my behalf when the devil comes to tell the Father what I just did. In this in this incredible life stream, first of all, we see we have an advocate. Secondly, in verse number three, and hereby we do know that we know him. How? How do you know that you know Christ? Now, we're told in this verse, but how do you know that you know him? Well, here's what John says, if we keep his commandments. The way that you're going to know that you know him is, he says, if you keep my commandments. You see, true knowledge of Christ, to know him, I don't mean superficially. Do you know Jesus? Oh, I know who he is. He died on the cross. But I'm saying, do you really know Jesus? He says, here's how you can know. If you keep his commandments, or literally, if we keep on keeping his commandments. That's the exact that tense of the verb here. If we keep on keeping his commandments. Now let's just for a moment, remember, we're talking about this eternal life stream, this, this life of Christ. And there's two things I want to show you in this stream. The first thing is this glorious truth that we have an advocate with the Father, someone standing up on our behalf, and that's Jesus Christ, the righteous. The second thing is, something that I didn't think, were blessings. They're commandments. 
The second thing that we have swimming around in this eternal live stream are commandments. Now, when I look in this stream, I want to see things I really want. I want to see those trout that are really, really big. I want to see things that are pleasing to me, things that are enjoyable to me. An advocate is pleasing to me. But being told I can't do something or being told I have to do something in its initial state rubs me the wrong way. You see, we did not start our Christian life by consistently keeping His commandments. When you first got saved, you tried and you failed and you tried and you failed. It just, sometimes it seemed like, am I ever going to get past this? I've got this sin habit, and it just keeps nagging me and nagging me. I try, and I fail. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I did it again. The very next day, you do it again and over and over and over. You do that, and sometimes that takes years out of your life. But during those times, we begin to learn more and more of the nature of Christ. During those times of trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing, we begin to understand. Something about Christ we only knew superficially, intellectually before, but now we begin to understand it in our heart. We begin to learn of His mercy, what true mercy really is. We learn of His long-suffering and His patience with us. Man, if I were Christ, I would have burned you a long time ago. The times that you disappointed me over and over and over and over again, I would have given up on you long ago. I learned that he's long-suffering and patient and merciful. And I learned that I'm weak apart from him. Oh, how I thought I was strong. I got saved. I'm strong now. I'm super Christian now. I can do anything now. I won't sin again. Splat! <laughs> I grew to know Christ better until I finally allowed him to empower me to keep his commandments. You see, here's the deal. I grew, but I kept flopping until I learned I'm never going to get this. It has to be him in me. It has to be his strength. I have to allow him to give me the victory. I have to receive or accept the victory that he's already won on the cross. I have to go in his strength. First, or in John 15 and 10, it says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How will I abide in the love of Christ? He tells us. By keeping his commandments. Seems so harsh. Doing what you're told. Seems harsh. And yet, we're told here that if you learn to keep His commandments, simply obey, then you will begin abiding in His love. Our obedience to Christ has formed a foundation of truth in us about Christ. The verse says, we have come to know Him and still know Him. That's, that's the thought. We've come to know Him and we still know Him. Repeated obedience deepens our knowledge of Christ. You see, repeated successes of obeying strengthen our understanding and dependence upon Him. 
The more we obey, the more we depend and obey, the more we trust and obey, for there's no other way. The more we learn to trust in Him and obey, find our strength to trust in Him, and we experience a success, the more we do that, the more we begin to understand who He is, the knowledge of Christ. Remember Moses? Moses repeatedly obeyed his God. Of all the characters in the Bible, one of the two that are held highest, or three that are held highest, is Moses. You see Moses, you see Abraham, you see David. Moses, a man that God looked on for spiritual leadership for his whole people. Moses was a Bible character, having an unusual knowledge of God. Moses spent much time in the very presence of God. Imagine walking up into a thick cloud and not coming out of that for 40 days. Though Moses was not perfect, he carried out the specific commandments that God gave to him. Like, like go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. In spite of his harsh treatment every time. Moses knew God so well, he pleaded with God to not destroy his own people. And God listened to him. Exodus 32, verse 10, Now therefore let me alone, God said, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand, verse 14, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. He turned, he changed his mind. Why? Because Moses was so good, close to God. He knew God so well. He had an intimate knowledge of God that he knew that he could challenge God in this because he was reminding God of his own nature. We come to know God or know Christ by experience, not just our intellect. To know, to know, we're to know Christ. The word know here is a word that means to know by experience. I told you this illustration, but it's one thing to read the driver's manual. I can know how to drive. But until I actually get behind the wheel and understand what it's like going down the road and to know that when I go like this, the wheel veers off to this way. When I go like this, the wheel goes off this way. To know by experience. It says to know and I still know him in the perfect tense to know and what I learned of Christ is affecting me today those things that I went through with Christ yesterday are affecting me today and throughout the rest of my life here's a couple complementary truths from obeying number one keeping his commandments is a natural response from knowing Christ if you know Christ you will be much more likely to keep his commandments if you know him, I mean really know him, you'll be much more likely to keep what he says to do. And number two, 
the more we keep his commandments, the more we truly know him. See how they work together? Keeping his commandments is what you're going to do if you know Christ. Well, how do you get to know Christ? By keeping his commandments. When God tells you to do something, when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, when the Spirit of God moves you and you respond to that, your knowledge of Christ begins to expand. As you get into the Word of God, and you read the Word of God, and it just seems like God is speaking to you out of the Word and telling you to do something, and you step out by faith and obey what God's Word says, your knowledge of Christ begins to expand. How? By obeying. And then the more you obey Him, the more He allows us to know True knowledge of Christ is more than just words. It's more than just doctrine. Verse, tw- verse 4 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Disobedience to his commands is an indicator of someone who does not know Christ. Oh, they may know about him, but they don't know him. And if they're living in sin, if they're having trouble with sin habits over and over and over, they're not experiencing the knowledge of Christ. They don't know Him. (laughs) When I was in 11th and 12th grade, at the time I was living in Longmont, they were adding a class to that school there one year, every year, behind me. So though my sister got to go all years through the school there, I didn't get to go there because there was, there were, I was a grade too far ahead. And so there was a group of young people in the church that went down to South Sheridan to uh, Silver State and went there in Denver. And so I went 11th to 12th grade in Silver State. <laughs> um, the first year in uh, my class, we had a substitute teacher showed up. And, and you know what teenagers do to substitute teachers. It didn't take me long to learn that being in a Christian school did not remove me from people who had devious thoughts. Christian school students could be just as devious as the public school students. And come to find out that a substitute teacher gets chewed up and spit out in a Christian school just like a public school sometimes. So bless her heart, this lady comes in and she's, she's elderly. And here she is with these teenagers, these juniors and seniors in high school. And did we have fun with her? I'm telling you what, we had her running in circles. She would say, now listen, it's time to do this because the lesson manual says this. We'd raise our hand. Oh, teacher, that's not what we really do. What we really do in the class is we have discussions. And we have, well, she said, well, what do you have discussions on? We started throwing out these topics. What, just to get her off topic? And it was so much fun. So I graduate somehow, go off to Bible college. I'm in Bible college. And about the second year of Bible college, we have a speaker that came the first year, but, but it didn't really catch on. Second year of Bible college, this evangelist, old, older gentleman, comes through and he preaches. And my heart was so moved by his preaching. I made life-changing decisions. 
Every time that man came, I would buy his books. I even got his autograph. It was incredible. His name was Dr. John R. Rice. My life was changed by his preaching and by his love for God. I learned at second year Bible college that that substitute teacher was his sister. If I would have known at the time that I was messing around with the sister of a man whose ministry would change my life, there's no way I would have treated her like that. I would have been rolling up the red carpet for her. What changed? Now I know who she is. I knew her. True knowledge of Christ is a whole lot more than just words. In verse 5 it says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So here are some benefits to continuing to obey. First of all, God's love is matured in one who obeys. As we become a channel of God's love, his love flowing through us to others, it matures us. It strengthens us. We get to know Him better, and that which we are giving to others is a pure reflection of His love. They don't see us. They see Christ in us. Continuing to obey, well, God confirms in our spirit that we are safe in Christ. I grieve over those that have struggles with assurance of salvation. Some folks struggle most of their life wondering, am I really saved? Do I know for sure if I'm saved? Did I say the right words? Did I kneel properly? Was I in the right service? Did I get God's attention? Did I say it loud enough? Did I do the right thing? All the while forgetting to know that he did the right thing, all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is say, yes, he did it all. You simply trust him for it. But by learning to obey Christ, by learning to obey him, God confirms in us that we are his. Verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Obedience is summed up by walking like Christ. What is obedience? Being like Christ, being Christ-like. From the very beginning, Jesus told his disciples to follow him. In verse number 7, Brother, and I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. From his beginning, he told his disciples, the commandment is to follow me. That's the commandment. Here's the old commandment. Follow me. It's not new. I started out with you saying, follow me. When we first met, I said, hey, follow me. Follow me. No new commandment. Follow me. In Matthew 4, 19, he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That was Peter's first command from Jesus. Very first command. Peter, follow me. John 21, 19. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And to Peter, 
when he had spoken thus, he saith unto him, Follow me. The very last command that Jesus gave to Peter is follow me. No new commandment. John 21, 22, Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Here it is. Follow thou me. Again, verse number 8, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. I struggled at first to understand what he meant by because he says in the previous verse, here's an old commandment, now I'm going to give you a new commandment. But Jesus' new commandment wasn't really new, though he would consider new. It was very, very old, but it had been ignored. So it came across as if it were new. Jesus repeatedly commanded his disciples to love one another. It was much earlier commanded in the Old Testament, but had been neglected. When Jesus restated it, it came across as new. In Leviticus, Old Testament book, in the law, chapter 19, verse 18, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19.34, But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall, shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is not new. Loving others is not new, but it's been ignored. And so now it comes across as a brand new commandment. Here's some consequences of failing to obey. I'll give you two basic ones. First of all, consequences of national disobedience. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 26 and following, it says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord God, your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods, which ye have not known. Again, in Isaiah 119, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. I wonder... I wonder what happened to open our country open to attack on 9-11. With the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and even the White House in an attempt against it. What's caused our borders to be thrown open wide for millions of unvetted foreigners to enter and change our country? We now live in a very divided country no longer being driven by Christian ideology and principles. As we continue to lessen our support for Israel, we will progressively become vulnerable to enemy attacks as God removes His hand of protection and blessing from us. What are some consequences of personal disobedience? Romans 2.8 says, But unto them that are contentious, and do not obey the truth, 
but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. A majority of self-proclaimed Christians no longer attend church regularly. Sadly, pornography has undermined the spiritual leadership of fathers in many Christian homes. Today's youth are stepping away from their traditional churches in mass. And I can't help but think that the problem, at least in part, is the lukewarm spiritual condition in their homes. Revival has eluded us for many years. I think it's because of Christians' unwillingness to surrender our wills completely to Christ. My little children, John writes, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. There it is, swimming in the life stream of eternal life. An advocate. We have an advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby, we do know him. We know that we know him. How? Take a look. See it swimming around in there? In eternal life? If we keep his commandments. I don't leave here saying, Pastor Outler said, you got to keep the commandments to get saved. That's not what I said. You don't keep commandments to get saved. You trust Christ for salvation. He's already done it all. He paid it on the cross. Salvation is simply trusting him. But once you become a believer in Christ, once your sins are washed away, you now have an advocate with the Father standing up on your behalf. But he wants you to experience the fullness of life, of life in Christ. And that fullness is emulating his life. For Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. He laid his own will down for that of the fathers. God wants us to lay our will down and obey his commandments. Are you enjoying the life stream of eternal life? Yeah. It's there for you. If you know Christ, the life of Christ is there for you. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for what you offer to us in your life. How negligent we often are. Trying to go through our lives in our own strength. Trying to defeat sin in our own will. And repeatedly falling on our face. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our advocate, standing up on our behalf. And thank you today for reminding us how we can know you better. And that's by obeying you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Has the Spirit of God impressed you this morning? Has he given you a greater appreciation and desire to live the life of Christ? 
Oh, that we today might commit to Him, surrendering our wills completely to Him. Would you? Would you be willing to submit your will to His and ask Him for His help in obeying Him? He so longs for you to get to know Him. I wonder, right before I conclude, with nobody looking around, is there anyone that came in this morning and say, Pastor Outler, I don't even know for sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, but I would like to know. Is there anyone, I'd not embarrass you, I'm not going to call your name out, but is there anyone that would say, Pastor Outler, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to know, would you pray for me? If that's your testimony, would you put your hand up so I can see it? I can pray for you. Anyone that say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. Anyone like that? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this sweet time. Thank you for these truths you've given to us. And I pray, Lord, that every believer in here might learn to draw deeply from this well of eternal life. And we'll thank you for what you've done, what you're going to do. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.